Hello and welcome to the Phones podcast for Monday the 3rd of September and for the first time in a long time this podcast is going out on the day it is recorded. Reason for that is we just got back from IFA over the weekend um, so while things are fresh in the mind we're going to have an IFA special on the podcast this week so my only guest is Steve Withers and we don't have a, a film line this week Steve so no, um, not bothered with that no, we're straight down to business today exactly no about. very bu- very business like so uh, competitions and so on uh, they'll all be in next week's uh, podcast we'll be back to normal next week and we'll be doing our monthly roundups and stuff as well because it's the beginning of a new month uh, but like I say we were at IFA last week it's my first IFA show in about four years um, so it was a bit strange getting back into the swing of it because um, it's a very unusual show in that it's it's open to the public. Uh, a lot of these trade shows that we go to, especially CES uh, in the States, it's trade only. You have to either be a working journalist or you have to be in the trade. So either a dealer or a distributor or a manufacturer or whatever to get into the show to, to qualify for entry. Whereas if is open to the public. So f- f- the Thursday is press day, which is usually nice and quiet. You, yeah. can get, you can get around, you can do things. Come the Friday, it's a battle getting around uh, because you're battling against the public. If you're doing what I'm doing in videoing, it's a nightmare. Uh, try, that's why there's no shots of me talking to camera because um, it just wouldn't have worked. Uh, there's just so many people on the show floor and barging past and, and all the rest of it. So let's go to what we saw first. And the first thing that we went to was LG stand, Steve, um, that we both went along and had a look at. Uh, some concept stuff that disappeared when the public yeah. came to the show. So 88-inch OLED, uh, 8K OLED. We had a sneak peek of this from LG Display back in January at CES, uh, running the same demonstration footage that they were running um, at the at the IFA show, but it was the first public unveiling. Well, it didn't make it to the public unveiling because it was removed before the public came in, um, which was a bit strange. Very strange. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure why I did that. Oh, clearly, the Thursday you know when they were showing on Thursday that was aimed at because that as you said is the press day they also wanted to show the press but for some reason they didn't want to show the public and uh, I I cannot explain it because it, it looked very impressive I don't see why they wouldn't want to show it to the public but um, yeah it disappeared on the Friday and had just had a, a generic LG OLED display yeah, there 77 inch C8 yeah, that, that they right, ended up yeah. displaying so, so yes yeah, so that was a bit unusual it, it did look okay but um, talking to LG reps um, not a lot was being said about it they, they, they weren't committing to bringing it to market and you get the funny feeling that it was there just because Samsung had an 8K just because yeah, no, that was what that was why it was there in fact in fact only, there are only two things at their stand that weren't already products around uh, was the 8K OLED that we saw on the Thursday, and also they were showing a micro LED wall of their own. Uh, clearly, both of those were aimed at sort of combating uh, PR from the uh, from the Samsung side um, because they didn't actually have it. I and mean, this is usual for LG; they don't normally have anything new at IFA. Tends to be just a case of them showing either uh, de- developing or um, or just reiterating their current lineup because um, they're usually pretty quick off the mark, aren't they? Unlike most manufacturers, they will probably announce their lineups at CES. They certainly did uh, this year. Yeah. Um, so they, they tend to be very quick out of the, off the blocks in terms of announcing things at the beginning of the year, getting stuff into the shops pretty quickly as well. So by EFA, they they've done their entire lineup and they're already planning for next year. So I guess yeah, they just have a couple of um, prototypes on display, which is what they had this year. They had the, the 8K OLED, which I, I did say I thought looked looked very impressive, um, and uh, and the micro LED wall, which again looked looked quite good. And I mean. Yeah, unfortunately, it, they were very thin on answers. Were they like, how big are the modular panels? Don't know. I can't say. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Sort of so it was it was 4K resolution overall for yeah. for, for the screen, but 
they wouldn't tell you how many uh, modules there were and what the resolution was for those modules. No. Um, obviously, it was, it was OLED technology. So in terms of seeing the join, I found it really difficult to see the join. But then again, it was set up in a way that you couldn't view it from side on um, because it was the width of the, the room that it was in. So you couldn't get side on to have a look. Um, and the material that was being shown, as always happens on a show floor, it was over-saturated, over-pumped, overly colourful, um, yeah, quite quite glaringly awful, to be honest, footage that they were showing on their test footage. It would have been nicer to have seen something that was a little bit more realistic. Um, but then when it's open to the public and, and they want the wow factor, that's what they tend to do. They turn everything up to 11. And, um, and unfortunately, um, that didn't work in favour of the display on, on that occasion. But like you say, LG products are all out there. Um, we've actually got a B8 coming in for review this week, hopefully. Um, and we've already reviewed the C865. Uh, I've got the 55 here on long-term test. And I've got to say, looking at all the competition that's come through so far, I've, I've still to see the Philips TVs. Um, it's a really strong product for TV of the year. It really is a, a strong front runner, the C8, um, for TV of the year because it's a great all-rounder. Um, so yeah, they, they didn't really, it was, it was like somebody that pulls up to a race and, and doesn't have to prove anything, basically. Oh. Um, <laughs> that, that was the attitude that you were getting from LG anyway. And they deserve it because they did everything at the beginning of the year. So oh, just, sorry, there was one announcement from LG that was of interest, um, is that there's going to be, for those who own LG TVs already, or are thinking of buying one, um, there's going to be a firmware update, I think next month, um, where they're adding Google Assistant built into the TV. So not what you can currently do, which is you can use Amazon Alexa to control it as a skill um, You need where you actually need a, you know, an echo or a dot in order to do that. They're going to actually have Amazon, I'm sorry, Google Assistant built into the TV, which is an interesting new feature. Okay, interesting stuff. So like we say, they didn't really announce anything at the show. Neither did Panasonic in terms of AV and TV. Uh, AV, it was the Blu-ray player, the 4K Blu-ray player, the, the uh, 9000. Yeah. We'd seen that already. Um, so there wasn't any need for us to go and see that again. Uh, but we did pop over and have a chat with Craig Cunningham. Uh, if you want to see the results of that chat and a few, was it, were there a few subtle hints in that, that interview? <laughs> um, we'll, we'll let you decide on that one. Uh, but anyway, I think there's going to be some big news come CES. So there wasn't anything from Panasonic. Uh, we've also reviewed the FZ952. You've had a look at the FZ800, Steve. I've still got to get my review sample in. Uh, it's probably going to be a few more weeks before I get to see it. But basically, it's the same TV, but with Dentical, the same bar. Yeah, yeah, just about the same bar. Um, really, really cracking picture on that telly. Yeah. So nothing from LG, nothing from uh, Panasonic. Moving over to Samsung. So Samsung have... Um, New model, Q9900. It's an 8K TV. There is no yep. 8K content uh, on the planet that anybody, uh, consumer-wise, who can go out and buy this TV seemingly in the next month or so, uh, it goes on sale. Uh, surprisingly, um, the 65-inch be about five grand as well, which is right. cheaper than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. Our... Are Samsung trying to do what LG did with OLED and get in there early and and become the de facto uh, screen for for that resolution? That seems to be what they're aiming at. We had, we had a closed door uh, demonstration um, with them. Uh, we couldn't take photographs or anything like that, but we, we we had demonstrations of the technology, the various technology that's in the TV. The interesting one is the machine learning side of things, the AI, yeah, um, which is their upscaling technology. Now, you have to have a USP if you're going to sell an 8K screen at the moment because there is no content. Um, 
So if you're going to go down that road and you're going to force it on the public as, as, a, as a standard, and it's what they're hoping for, the number of times that they kept saying, we really hope the 8K ecosystem will take off, um, it's something that, that Samsung really are backing. Um, I think it will take off. I just don't think it'll take off this year or next year or even the year after that. I think this is a five-year product cycle. I think we're right at the beginning of it. And the technology that they are showing is interesting, but it, it involves a lot of upscaling especially yeah. when you're talking about lower resolution stuff. Um, so that's even, you know, so I think DVD quality would suffer. I mean, they were showing us SD uh, clips. And to be honest with you, yes, the processing cleaned it up, but it still didn't look very good. You can only do so, so much. much. Yeah, you can't add in what isn't there. Um, it was interesting looking at 4K to 8K because that's where... Um, there was less of an issue when it came to the upscaling because you're going from a high high resolution source and upscaling it. Uh, you can't add in what's not there, but they're using a lot of sharpening algorithms and, and so on, and this machine learning AI. So how that works is it doesn't work in the, in the TV that you alone, but um, what Samsung do is they run footage over and over and over again, and they assess it and assess it with this uh, learning technology. And every now and again, they'll update their database with what they've learned from that. Now, that's a, that's a really simplified version of what we were told. But I think it's the easiest way of understanding it. So every time that they come up with a, a better way of resolving a certain type of image on screen, they'll update their database. And then your TV then accesses that database uh, in, in terms of a firmware update. So as soon as they find a better way of doing the upscaling, they'll then send it to their servers, and their servers will then download that as firmware, which seems like a a sensible way to approach an issue like that um, as long as they carry on and, and pull through with what they're saying that they're going to do there because you only have to cast your mind back to the uh, upgradable um, TVs from a few years ago, Steve, and that didn't last very long. It was a great idea to upgrade to the latest technology, but that didn't really stay around, did it? So you have to ask yourself, is this technology is it viable and is is it going to be updated and keep being updated? Because it's going to be a long time before we get 8K content. We'll get the Olympics because NHK have said they're going to do it and now that they've said they're going to do it, they have to do it and they will move the technology along enough by that stage to do that. But if you look at motion pictures, which is the vast majority of content that pushes formats, is the movies. You know, as soon as movies become available on, on formats, that's where the big push is. It used to be, well, it only ever happened once in history that it wasn't the movie, uh, well, the straight Hollywood movies <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that made a format a success. And I'm thinking about VHS there. Uh, but it, ever since then, it's always been the backing of major movie studios and having disc formats or whatever to push that content to your new resolution TVs. That's always the way it, it's, it's worked. We're moving into a new world now where I don't think there'll be a, an 8K disc at all. I don't think that will ever happen just because of the, you know, the amount of data you're talking about and so on. To, to fit that on a disc, not possible. So it's going to have to be a streaming technology and this is where this AI comes in uh, and, and becomes useful. But then you're still talking about a lot of data. So you're talking about a lot of compression as well. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts were on the demonstrations that we saw. I was impressed. I was impressed with the thought process. I was impressed with how well they'd thought out the technology and the problems that they're going to have. But I kept asking myself, and they were trying to answer the question all the way through, but I kept asking myself, why now? Why 8K now? 8K is great technology. It's, in the future, it will be 
uh, probably not the de facto standard, but it will become a standard and, and, and eventually things will move on. But if you look at the film industry now, they're not producing even in 4K for the vast majority of, of consumer released material at the moment. Um, they're still trying to ramp up for that. So when you're talking about 8K, you're definitely talking like a five-year product cycle. So the, the thing I kept coming back to was, why now? I don't know about you, Steve, but that's what I kept thinking. Well, I think I think the answer to why now is just to have some, you know, something to talk about, isn't it, really? Um, in the absence of micro-LED, which I think is going to be the next big thing, um, this is a sort of a stopgap product to uh, attract some attention. And as you say, its success will live or die on how effective the upscaling is um, and how effective this AI technology is that they're going to be implementing and also like you say how long they're going to keep doing it for because I guess the limitation will be the processing power on the TV ultimately as far as uh, updates and upgrades go. I've got to say though as a TV though it was um, it was it was a nice package wasn't it because I mean there was not just the 8k aspect but they were talking about being able to deliver 4,000 nits of peak brightness um, 100% of DCI-P3 um, obviously, there are things like all the game mode features, VRR, and that kind of thing. So, I think as a product, it should be a very strong um, television as an all-over package. But the ultimate question is, yeah, I mean, as far as 8K goes, uh, you know, there is no content. There isn't going to be any content for a long time, and so that does raise the question of whether it's something you need. Now, obviously, it isn't. I mean, most people are still probably haven't even upgraded to 4K yet. So, it's going to be, like you say, at least a five-year cycle before. 4K becomes saturated, and then we'll move into a cycle of um, manufacturers offering more 8K TVs as, a, as an alternative to having a 4K TV. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting technology. I guess it's, it shows they can do it uh, and at a relatively affordable price. Um, but, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, obviously, once one manufacturer goes, everyone else will pile in. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, I should imagine next year we'll see a lot of 8K TVs, particularly if we run into um, the Olympics in 2020. Uh, as you said, there, there will be some broadcasts in in Japan, I think in China and possibly South Korea. You might you will see 8K broadcasts, but uh, that's not happening here uh, or in Europe or the US. Um, as you say, the only real way it's going to be able to be delivered is via streaming, and that means there's going to have to be um, some very very efficient compression algorithms being used. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a way off. Yeah, you see, for for me, that my concern here, and this is just my personal opinion, um, because I, I was impressed with the Samsung demo. Um, they did a good job at explaining everything. They get, did a good job at showing us what they were actually talking about and explaining their thought process and so on. But for me, it just feels like there's too much processing going on to the image. Um, I think and, that doesn't that apply to every manufacturer at the moment, from it, what I can tell? <laughs> it does, but, but, and we'll come back to it with Philips as well, with, with, with their technology. But, you know, for video purists like ourselves, um, who are always looking for or, you know, director's intent and all the rest of it and pushing that that point over and the majority of manufacturers understanding that and doing that and providing that we seem to now be taking a leap into the unknown again and using an awful lot of processing like detail recreation noise, quantum noise reduction, edge restoration sharpening, jaggy free <laughs> more pixels, better pixel density, smoother sharpening but the things that keep Popping out here is detail recreation and, and and talking about things that you can't add back into the image. Now, it did look impressive. I've got to say, what they were showing us looked impressive, but it was video footage and it was footage that, that didn't have a creator's intent. It wasn't artistic, um, is what I'm trying to get at. Whereas motion pictures are 
artistic. They they are a representation of somebody telling you a story, and they're done visually in in a certain way. And my concern is how how do these technologies marry in together? You know how how do how do things progress going forward, or are we going to get into that point now where you know? The vast majority of of what we see is soap opera effect. It, it is recreation of detail that doesn't exist, and so on. I think we're starting to possibly move into an area that's a little bit dangerous if we can't create native content, and we we start moving back to uh, you know depending on uh, digital technologies and and processing and all the rest of it to to create an image. That's my one concern with it, and that's why I don't think it's the right time at the minute for for eight K. What we've seen, though, from Samsung was impressive. I will give them that. It, it was an impressive demo. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, I can't say. For an LCD television, I thought it delivered a, a really impressive black levels. The local dimming, I mean, they're using the same number of zones as on the Q9, so that's, I think, I think 488. Yeah. Um, but the way it's being applied, thanks to additional pixels and, and the micro LED, uh, micro LED, well, sorry, that's not the right word, but micro dimming, micro dimming that they were applying, I thought it worked very well. So that's good, and you know there was there was also uh, a talk from somebody who works in the industry in terms of um, digital intermediates and workflows for HDR, and, and they were talking about um, HDR accuracy, color color accuracy on the TVs, um, the wider color gamuts, um, the tone mapping, and it all looked like you know if it all comes together, it, like I say, it could be a really really good television. Um, certainly one of the best LCD TVs we're likely to see, and it might well be this is the sort of the last hurrah of LCD if we are moving into a world where we're going to have you know OLED becoming more mainstream, and micro LED taking over as far as the high end goes. So um, yeah, it, it looks like a really impressive TV. Um, I mean. Obviously, these are these are going to be pretty big screen sizes. I think there's a 65 inch, like I said, which should be yeah. about five grand. But you know, they're talking about 65, 75, and 85 inch TVs. So, you know, they really are aimed at the higher end of the of the market. Uh, and I suppose they're really a technological statement on there. That's what they basically are. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's something to shout about. It's something to you know uh, show people that Samsung are, are still here. They're still developing. Um, micro LED is still a little while away. Um, but they are working on on the next generation of stuff, and you know, the, it was impressive. It was impressive. But I've I've given you my concerns on that one, so we'll see how things go. I think, what did impress me was the viewing angles were a lot better on that TV than I've seen on a VA panel in a long yeah. time. Yeah, that, that was something that did stand out. I thought, wow, you can stand off axis and it doesn't fall off as like it normally does, like because of a cliff normally. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one thing. I think the additional pixels and processing in there did help in that respect. But uh, yeah. yeah, sorry, Tom. yeah. But when it's side by side with other manufacturer stuff, I tend to uh, ignore what, I, what I'm being told and what I've seen because <laughs> yeah, yeah, because well, you went to the Sony. I unfortunately I didn't make it to the Sony uh, TV demonstration because I had another appointment uh, where I had to go and interview someone at that point. Uh, but you did go, so give us I a quick, quick brief update on the Master Series. I've got to say, when I looked at the TVs on the stand, uh, they looked impressive. I quite like the back of the new uh, the new OLED. I thought that looked really quite nice, even though it's still leaning back. I think the design, yeah, it's a jazzed up version of the, the design's uh, quite nice. Yeah, so I like that, and and I was quite impressed as well with his with the ZF um, of off axis, uh, like you say, you know, from well, from the ZF off axis, axis really looked good. really good. And I was thinking, is this a VA panel or an IPS panel? Because yeah, uh, yeah. uh, it it held up off axis very very well. I mean, if it's a if it's a VA panel. God knows how they're achieving that, because it really was impressive. Um, and it made me think, and they weren't answering the question, but it made me think, are they using an IPS panel on these TVs? Because it, it looked too good for a VA panel. 
Um, anyway, yeah, AF9, um, which has got design-wise looks very similar to the A1, but has a sort of slightly revised rear rear design, which I've got to say did look very attractive. Uh, picture quality-wise, very impressive. Again, um, a lot of um, a lot of picture processing going on. Uh, again, like, like every other manufacturer, Sony in there, they've got their new, um, what was it, the X1 Ultimate processing chip. So there's a, there's a lot of manufacturers talking about trying to turn SDR into HDR, and I really don't agree with that at all. SDR is SDR, HDR is HDR. They're two very different things, and you can't turn one into the other. You can't add something that, as you said, Phil, that doesn't exist in the first place. Uh, all you can do is just, you know, boost the brightness, boost, you know, manipulate the contrast, manipulate the gamma, oversaturate the colors. It's it's not necessarily something you want done, but, you know, that is something the manufacturers have been pushing in a big way. Uh, so in terms, in terms of the, um, uh, what do they call it? They call it, so it's the X1 Ultimate Processor, which apparently has 50% more processing power than the previous um, processor, and now has object-based super resolution and object-based HDR remastering. Now, it's the HDR remastering bit that's basically trying to turn SDR into HDR, which is not something which, I personally which is approve. Which is on this year's sets. Um, uh, so yeah, this is the, the they, they've, they've jazzed it up it, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. They've jazzed it up a bit. Um, they've done one thing, I think, which is which about time. <laughs> they've got rid of a lot of the picture modes that no one ever used. So they've simplified the number of picture modes. So now, um, as far as picture modes go, you've got, um, I think it's Cinema, which is, sorry, Custom. Custom is going to be what was Cinema Pro, and uh, Cinema is now what was Cinema Home. But on, on Sony TV, Cinema Pro, or, or is it going to be now Custom, is the only one that isn't being, is, doesn't have any manipulation going on behind the scenes because um, the Cinema Home mode did. Um, they've also got a Pixel Contrast Booster um, in the AF9. Which comes in 55, 65 inch screen sizes, by the way. And uh, they've got, now they've got, uh, they're talking about the redesigned rear. They've got three actuators at the back and two subs built in. And something they did demonstrate, which I think is a cracking idea, is the center speaker mode, where you can use the acoustic surface of the TV as a center speaker in a five, you know, in a multi channel setup. And that one they did demonstrate, and it worked really well. And I've got to say, that that is a very clever idea. And um, I think that's, you know, that could be a big selling point for anyone who's using a, you know, an AVR system, and you know, rather than having a center speaker, just use the uh, acoustic surface on the TV as a center speaker. And obviously, that means that the sound is coming <laughs> directly from the screen. I've got to say, on the on the EFA, I think uh, that I have here on long term test, it's one of my favourite features on the TV is the acoustic surface. Um, it really is a really good idea, and it works really well. And like you say, I mean, it, it just adds a little bit of realism to where the sound is actually coming from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so those are the things on the AF9. Other things to mention, I guess, are that there's a new Cowman auto calibration software. Um, they've got proper calibration controls now, so about time. Um, Portrait display really have wrapped up most of the major manufacturers yeah, yeah, when it comes to that. So, yeah, they've done. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there's a. I don't know how this is going to work, but there, there was a Netflix calibrated mode. Be interesting to see what exactly that now, means. Now, I was on the stand. It was only mentioned in uh, a little demo that they were running. There was nothing else on the stand um, showing anything. Did you? Did they go into it in the presentation? No, anyway? It just no. mentioned it. It's like, you know, the TV, right. the mode was... I mean, I'm thinking, well, surely Netflix uses the same standards as everybody else. So, yeah. See, you know. this, this is the thing that worries me about this. Nobody's want, willing to speak about it. So nobody's going into any details about it. Uh, and what it actually does and what it actually it's is. going to be hard to test as well because you're going to so, need to be your netflix content presumably yeah. to select the netflix mode so i'm not sure how we'd even be able to measure it yeah uh, so, so i'm always i'm always dubious of things like this and and you know i'm not having a go at sony but if you're going to release something like that as a marketing gimmick which is what it looks at like 
give us a bit more detail. Tell us what it, what it actually is and what it actually does. Otherwise, it does just look like a gimmick. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of operating systems, so still Android, of course, Android Oreo um, built in, with, which is going to have built-in Google Assistant and a built-in microphone as well, actually. And I asked about, they will have Dolby Vision support out of the box. It is the same profile that they've been using on their other TVs. It's not the more generally used profile. Um, so it is still the Sony-specific profile that they're using, even on the new TVs. Uh, in terms of the ZF9, I mean, all the same features, basically, that the F9's got, but this is obviously an LCD LED TV um, that now includes the X-Motion Clarity that you reviewed on the XF9T. Yep. Yeah. Um, which looks really good. I've got to say that that feature looks really good. It's got the extended dynamic range pro. So, um, you know, local dimming, they wouldn't say how many zones, they wouldn't say how bright it goes, but we'll be able to find that out in testing. And then also the X wide angle aspect, which is what I was talking about in the beginning, where it's got a really wide viewing angle uh, that makes you wonder whether they're using an IPS or a VA panel. Um, I think that's about it as far as... Uh... I've got to say that that was one thing um, I, I did notice on the Z, ZF9 was the halo behind an object. Uh, the, the, it's in the video, if you want to go and have a look at the video um, of, of the for cabbage. It's where the, the hand goes in with a with a paintbrush to take some paint out of the, the little cup. There was quite a bit of halo in there. Like I say, I shot this bit of video, I was watching the screen at the time, and I could notice... Oh, sorry, you mean actually on the stand? On the actual stand, oh, right, yeah. yeah so, uh, okay, interesting. so yeah, so I saw quite a bit of halo in there. So, I, um, you know, it's impossible to count how many zones it is from a bit of video, but... It looked like there was larger areas, if you know what I mean. So it didn't right. look as fine. So I'm wondering if it's if it has as many zones as as the old model. That's that's kind of what popped in my head. But we won't know till we get them in for review. Um, and it, and it's nice and easy to check that once we do get them in. Um, we'll be able to do our our usual count and see how many we think there is in there. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering if if that's the the, the panel design has changed because you you were on about viewing angles and I, that was one thing I did notice. Uh, but I also noticed uh, quite a bit more healing around than some objects. So I'm just thinking maybe they have changed changed the panel. Yes, I guess time will tell. But I think uh, I think it's good to see that they are at least finally listening to feedback and making changes. Uh, for example, all the HDMI inputs are going to be fully spec at last, rather than yeah. just having two out of the four, which I think was very mean on flagship TVs. Uh, so that's yeah, good. yeah. So, but I just want to point out that it wasn't just Sony. Um, they, they no, there's that other manufacturers. The do other that manufacturers well, do do that, so yeah. But it's nice to see uh, they have moved on to that, and they're doing the same with the projectors as well, which is great because you only get two inputs on the projectors. Yeah. So it's yeah. good to see that they're now so, full bandwidth. They look good though. They did look good. They're impressive in the in the demos. But I've got to say the demos were really heavily rigged. <laughs> there was yeah. some stuff going on there. I thought there's no way that that TV looks like that normally because um, you know I've reviewed it. There was two TVs, both of which I've, I've previously reviewed, and I knew for a fact that they were better performers than that, and, and, yeah. and I think some rigging going on. But that's pretty much par for the course. In yeah, these it is, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> I said before, whenever it comes to de- you know against the competitor, look the other way, because it's usually rigged in, in their favour. And I don't know why manufacturers do that, because it's, just tell us about your product. Just yeah, show, us, yeah. show us the strengths of your product, and leave the comparison stuff to, to other people and at the end of the day sometimes you're talking about two completely different technology cases so if you've got an LED LCD TV why are you putting it up against an OLED because they're completely different technologies and they're made for different no, markets in, in fairness so, they were doing AF, ZF9 against um, well against the Q9 and okay. they did the yeah. um, AF9 against the C sorry E8 yeah but I, just, I knew that both those TVs could do better than they were giving them credit for yeah. so uh, yeah but you always take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Still, I'm um, looking looking forward to them. I mean, uh, and the pricing actually wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I 
did catch I think I caught the pricing. Did you catch the pricing? Someone uh, was talking about it. I wasn't sure whether Yes, were. yes, we do have the pricing. Uh, if you give me two seconds, I'll just bring it up on screen because I didn't have that page open. Yes, so 75 ZF9 is 4999. Uh, 65 inch is 3799. The 65 inch AF9 is £4, a pound under four grand, And the 55 inch uh, AF9 is a pound under three grand. So 2999, which are pretty good prices for, for new models coming in. Um, be interesting, like I say, be interesting when they come in for review, we get to see them and we get to play about with them a little bit more and we get to live in them for a week or two um, and put them through the paces uh, and it'll be interesting to see this new processor with the Android uh, platform because it's it's been the Achilles heel for Sony for a while now, is the Android system and it crashing and it being quite slow and all the rest of it, so it'd be nice to see if the processing power has been adapted let's say, uh, so that's that's not an issue anymore. Because if I think if they, they manage to sort that out, then it becomes a really good all-rounder then, uh, mm, yeah, especially, especially the OLED. Because the F8, you know, picture-wise, it's great. It's just the Android side of things really kind of lets it down a little bit. Mm. So that's Sony. Uh, so let's move on. Let's go to Philips, because we're talking about picture processing. This is the big thing for Philips. It always has been. They've always been at the forefront of picture processing power and having powerful processing chips in their TVs. Um, this year, no exception to that, they have a new generation of the P5. And I keep getting the name wrong, Steve. It's one of these names that I'm always going to get wrong when it comes to this. It's something reality, something natural reality um, that they're calling it. Per perfect natural reality. Perfect uh, natural reality. Yes, I, th it. I think it's something like that. I always yeah, get no, I've, got, I've got it written down on my notes. <laughs> perfect natural reality. <laughs> I always get the, the wrong way around or whatever. But yes, so Danny Tark has always been uh, the picture processing guru, really, the picture guru. He's, he's always been pushing the better motion, better pixels, smarter pixels, all that kind of thing. And I'd, I'm going to admit it here that now and again, I have banged heads with with Danny in the past because our philosophies are a little bit different. Even in the, the shootout that happened uh, last year, we had disagreements um, on, you know, was the sharpening on, was the sharpening too much and, and, and so on. So uh, the one thing I do like to do, though, is give people the opportunity to explain this stuff before I form any opinion on what I think. And... I always show them the utmost respect in, in their field and what they do. And Danny is an expert when it comes to what he does, which is picture processing. I'm never going to knock him, even if I disagree with, with some of the techniques that they use because I have more of a purist uh, feel for an image than perhaps uh, Danny does. Because you've got to remember that Danny's an engineer. He's not, he's, he doesn't create these images in terms of he's not the, the the artistic side of things. So when it comes to motion pictures and so on, I think we have the same attitude. I think we have the same, yes, put it in movie mode and so on. Uh, but Danny does go off uh, and do things that you think, well, I wouldn't have thought of doing that, but actually, um, now that you're showing me this, it's I can see the thinking. And that is definitely about this natural reality processing. It's, it's again, changing SDR into HDR. So I think we have to, I mean, you've already touched on it, Steve. We have to We have to cross this bridge. In my view, SDR, leave it alone. Um, so very much what you said. Uh, a lot of thought has gone into the creation of, of that material. Um, it hasn't been graded as HDR. It's been graded at 100, 120 nits to be shown in SDR. You're not going to retrieve any other detail from it, especially motion pictures, um, by boosting the contrast and and changing the gamma curve, 
which is basically what's happening here. There's some clever algorithms going in on. There's some clever, which I asked the question and Danny Point Black would not answer it because obviously you're talking about propriety um, techniques and so on, which he didn't want to go into, uh, which is understandable. He didn't want to make that public. Uh, but for for me, again, it's changing something. It's trying to add something that isn't there. It is this trend that's going on at the minute and I don't really understand why you would want to do that especially when we've seen things like the BBC over the summer do really successful HLG demonstrations um, which is hopefully now going to pave the way to next year having an actual uh, service via the iPlayer that is in 4K and is in UHD uh, uh, with HLG so you're going to get it from the broadcast side we already have have it on discs if if it's been given an, uh, an HDR grade you can go out and you can get this this content now their argument is that not everybody has that content in their living rooms, and but they want the they want the technology. But changing SDR EastEnders in SDR into EastEnders HDR, I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, I genuinely don't get why you would want to do that. Yes, it's very very clever technology. It's very clever algorithm. The demo footage that they were showing, which was clouds, which is in our EFA video, if you want to go have a look at that. Um, obviously, it's shot on a camera, so don't make any final representations, but it gives you an idea of what the technology is doing. So, yes, the clouds were brighter and there was more detail um, or perceived detail, I should say, just because yeah. it's manipulating the gamma curve. It's, there's not any actual detail in there, extra detail in there. So, yeah, so, so that's what it's doing. It's got a fancy gamma curve. They're manipulating the contrast. They're brightening certain sections. Uh, there's a histogram which is obviously looking at the image and deciding what the highlights are and boosting those and you know where your your blacks and greys are and and manipulating those through through use of gamma. Um, and with the demo sequences that he he, he was shown there, um, it did look impressive. It did everything that he said it was going to do, and it's very very clever. Until, but, well, go on. Until they put on a film sequence. Yeah. The demos with like clouds and mountains and sort of stuff they shot for the, for the demos they looked you thought oh that that I can see more detail that was quite impressive. Mm -hmm. Then they stuck on a scene from Life of Pi and it looked bloody awful. It did. It, it, <laughs> it just didn't look good at all. Over over too much sharpness being applied, too much processing. It just looked. I mean, it, did, it did not look like I've seen Life of Pi both in SDR and HDR. Um, you know, as in the HDR 4K disc. Uh, so I know what it's supposed to look like, and, and it just you know it was just it wasn't a natural representation of as you said it was not a representation of the artist's intent. Yeah, yeah. At all, but, it was but, Danny's representation of his intent. Yes, <laughs> I guess. Yes, and and don't get me wrong, we're we're not having a go. Um, we're 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 not putting Danny down in any way because he is a very very clever man, and what he does uh, with, with the processing and so on, it is very good, and a lot of the processing processing that they do the noise reduction stuff and so on mm -hmm. if you're getting everything really good. yeah if you're watching sd content and so on they have some of the best noise reduction some of the best uh, upscaling uh, technologies out there because he really does know uh, what he's doing and motion there. handling too if it's things like sporting yeah. events that sort of stuff the motion and um, yeah. upscaling yeah. you know the yeah. um, interpolation can be very effective yeah it's just that they, you know as as we say, we always go for you know what was the intent of the the artist behind the the content, and we want to try and replicate that because that's why standards exist, um, and that's why we want manufacturers to to you know respect the standards and have at least one mode within the TVs that that, that respects that and shows it as close as possible. I just couldn't get my head around why you would use it. Very very clever technology, but uh, when it comes to films, I couldn't understand why you would want to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't, would not be my personal choice. That would, that would apply to any manufacturer who is applying processing to, like I said, the, the Sony, current Sonys, if, you're, if you use the cinema yep. home mode, there's processing being applied behind the scenes that you cannot turn off. It manipulates yep. the gamma. So the only mode I would use would be Cinema Pro because that's the mode where you can get you can you can replicate the artistic intent of the content creators, and they spend weeks, sometimes even months, color timing, doing digital intermediates, and making a very very specific image that's meant to tell the story visually. And if you're if you're changing that, then you're not getting that effect any longer. So yeah, I mean, obviously there were marketing aspects to this. You know, if you can, you know, having processing features and SDR to HDR makes a marketing you know feature that you can present to consumers, and some people are less fussed about image accuracy and, and um, fidelity and therefore they'll be more than happy to give it a try as a purist it's not my cup of tea but i understand why it's there yeah and it's and it's very clever it, it really yeah, is it, I it mean, is what, really clever what, it's what very can clever. do it really is clever in real time the yeah, processing they're yeah, doing is yeah. staggering it, it is it is it's really really good and i've got to say i really liked what i've seen of the 803 and the 903 oleds oh, um, they, they look great they look really really good i can't I've, what really uh, the um bmw soundbar um that they built for the 903, which was limited in the sense that they already had some 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 already designed and built. So BMW had to sort of like fit things into the available space. Next year they'll be doing it from scratch. But I got to say, one of the best sounding TVs I've heard in a very long time. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, and I was off axis. I, I was the other side of the room from where the, you were. You had a I good was dead had, center. Yeah, yeah, so you had a good good angle. I was a little bit further off to the the left hand side, but even then, uh, there was a definite difference in 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 the sound quality. So yeah, I'm really really looking forward to getting both of those through for review. Hopefully, nine oh three first of all, and then eight oh three um, after that. And picture quality wise, I've had it confirmed with Danny. It's on the video as well. Uh, identical. So the same panels, same processing same image quality the only difference is this soundbar but it looks like a really worthwhile upgrade if you, if you want to have a nice sounding tv and you're not going to have a, an external uh, standalone system it could be one to look at so we'll be reviewing those when they come in so let's talk change the tax a little bit from tvs to projectors um i know steve's dying to talk about jvc so we're going to go and talk about sony first um <laughs> Uh, right, so I saw these Sony projectors back on the, I think it was the 9th of August, it was way back at the beginning of August anyway, I went down to Watford, there was three three journalists there, um, so we all got to our own little sessions with the projectors, so hands on, have a look at them, find out what we thought, uh, shoot little video bits that we could publish uh, when Aoife came around. Uh, the only one I got to spend any time with uh, looking at content was the laser projector, was the £25,000 laser projector. And I've got to say, it was impressive, really impressive image quality. Sony been doing native 4K for a long time. Uh, they know what they're doing there. Uh, it comes from the professional uh, side of their business, so they have been producing cinema projectors in 4K for a long time. So in terms of economies of scale and so on, they have been able to bring it to market a lot quicker than JVC have, uh, for example, because... You know, they have the means to do that. Um, and they've been doing it for a number of years. I've been impressed with most of the Sony projectors I've seen in. The last one I saw at, uh, here was the 760, which I thought at, at the £14,000 price point was, uh, was, was impressive. Um, it, it gave a, a really nice image. So it's nice to see that they're keeping that projector. They're moving the 870 up to 25 grand mark. They're getting rid of the 550, which I thought was a great projector as well. Uh, that's disappearing, as is the 360, and they're being yeah. replaced by the 570. The 260 as well. Yeah. The 260 goes, and it's been replaced by the 270. So the 270 is the entry level. All the details are in our video, which is on the homepage if you want to get all the details and the interview from Chris Mullins, who 
has moved from the Sony professional side into the home cinema side. So he absolutely knows uh, what he's talking about when it comes to uh, projector technology in the home and professional use and what the, the crossovers are there in terms of uh, processing and using the chipsets and all the rest of it. So it's an interesting video. Go watch that. Um, so yeah, I'm impressed but I was expecting the prices to be a bit lower this time around um, because, like I say, they've had the economies of scale for a number of years now, Steve. They've been working in this field for a number of years and I was expecting the entry point to finally be under £5,000. Um, I think if once that barrier is broken, it, it opens up the market. 270 is five grand, isn't it? Or five thousand euros. They were it's, saying it's so, going to be mm. it's going to be about five grand, but then it goes to the distributor in the UK, and it depends whether they put it out at five five grand or not. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's because we were told five grand last year, but then when the distributor added on the cost of them distributing it, I think it bumped it up by a couple of hundred pounds over that. I think it's a psychological barrier. This five grand mark for a lot of AV forums members anyway um, I think once we get native 4K under that it opens up a, a whole new market for the likes of Sony and JVC but I think the technology certainly from JVC's side is brand new so they've just brought this technology into market I'm surprised it's at the price points it's at I was expecting it to be more expensive than it's coming at <laughs> because it is their first and they don't have the economies of scale that Sony have so I think even though the, the JVC's have come in uh, at the price points that they have come in at, it, I'm impressed that they've been able to bring them in and, and compete with Sony. Um, because that was, the, you know, when we saw the, the, the units on the stand and so on, I'm thinking, I hope they get the pricing right. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do, because otherwise, if, if they were too expensive, it, it hands the market to Sony, basically. And it's nice to have a bit of competition, one playing off against the other, the consumer wins at the end of the day. Um, and these products have to exist. They have to exist now, and they have to be at the prices they're at now. So, you know, the economies of scale change, and the prices come down, and and the prices start to erode. Once you break that five thousand pound barrier, then uh, you know it opens up a whole new market. We're just not there this year. Um, I, I appreciate there's probably other factors associated with this too. Um, Brexit, basically. I think that's. Yeah. I think there would have been. I think a lot of products would have been a lot cheaper <laughs> of the last couple of years, but exchange rate issues have pushed up pricing most because all these products are built outside the uk so once we once you know once the pound gets thumped unfortunately the side effect is that all these things that we love to buy they get imported go up in price uh, and unfortunately i think that's going to get any better for the next couple yeah, of years yeah. and we are going to see i think pricing would have been below five grand had it not been for brexit yeah simple as that yeah but they look good. Uh, they should be coming to market. I think around about the same time as JVC. So uh, next, yeah, they're um, going to come um, mid October. Yeah, so JVC is October as well. So they're all going to come to market around about the same time, um, and it's going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to using my cinema room at the end of the year because uh, hopefully we'll have one or two in at the same time and be able to put them side by side and so on, um, and see what the differences are and see where the technology is. But uh, quickly, we'll move on to JVC. So their their models. Um, they start at six and a half thousand or around about six and a half thousand yeah. pounds, eight and a half thousand pounds, and eighteen and a half thousand pounds. Um, so you've got the two N models, the N7, uh, the N5, and the N7. I think the N7 is going to be the sweet spot because uh, the N5 is the entry level. I mean, it sounds silly saying entry level at six and a half grand, but that's what we're talking about when you're talking about this technology. That is the entry level for that technology. Um, the cutest thing is it, it only has Rec 709. Uh, color space. It it didn't say anything about DCI P3. Yeah. I'm wondering 
though is it restricted to 709 or is it is it is it that it just can't do DCI P3, I, I think so. what they meant is it can't reach 100 percent DCI P3. that's, that's so what I thought as well so um, and as long as it maps correctly to its actual native color space that shouldn't be an issue yeah um, contrast performance I think it's 40,000 to one they're talking about in terms yep. of um, and about 1800 lumens peak brightness mm-hmm. um, you know it, it essentially it looks very much like a native 4k version of the what would have been the what, previously the x5900 wouldn't it yeah um with, but, a, with a very big chassis i have to say <laughs> it's a big chassis but it's not massive so it, it's a round bit it's, it's just a little bit bigger than the the x series that we're getting rid of yeah. although the x7900 is allegedly staying around yes it and, is and it's, got, it's going to have a price reduction which is good because it's a cracking machine uh so it's a little bit longer a little bit wider but it's definitely a lot taller and it's um, 20 kilos, which is pretty yeah. heavy. Although, although the 7900 is, I think, 16 kilos, so it's only four kilos more. It's not yeah. a massive difference. And that will be down to the glass lens, which I was really impressed. So it's all glass have lenses. All on glass these. lenses. Now, yeah. now, please remember that the Sony's, uh, well, not not the 8700, the 870s, all glass, but otherwise they all use glass, plastic lenses, not completely all glass. So, yeah. JVC are using all glass lenses from across their entire range. Um, I think they always have. Yeah. So to so the N5 and the N9 are 65 mil uh, high resolution all glass lenses, and they're both ISF C3 certified. Um, uh, but then when you jump up to the 18,500 pound model, which is the NX9B, that's right. Um, it has a 100 mil high resolution all glass lens, and it does 2,200 lumens. Uh, 100,000 to 1 native contrast. Now, JVC are really conservative when it comes to their contrast. Um, and I've got to say, during the demo, I was absolutely blown away. Um, <laughs> really, really good. Really, really, really good. But then it should be for nearly 19 grand. It'll be interesting to see how the N5 and the N7 hold up because we didn't get to see them. Although you have gone and ordered one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, you know, like, like you're saying, the N7 and the N x9b that I mean, there's a difference in the lenses and obviously the nx9b has this 8ke shift um and it's also thx certified which the un, unusually the n uh, n7 isn't because yeah. the 7900 and, and 7000 series should we say that that was previously but um but other, otherwise you know you, i think you're getting exactly you know all the other same same features so it looks like uh you know as you said this could be a sweet spot for anyone looking for a, for a native 4k projector because comparing it to Specs-wise, comparing it to the Sony, the uh, 570. And uh, I think spec-wise, the N7 is superior. Um, it's got the JVC Blacks. It's got uh, an all-glass lens. Um, it's got a wider color gamut, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and uh, and um, I just think overall it has a nicer feature set, and I, I would be my preferred choice. The, the thing I'm really interested in testing, and, and I'm so glad that JVC have taken the time to look at it and to... To, to look at the basically where the issues are with projectors. Now, projectors are not built for HDR. They're, it's a reflective technology. It's never going to be as good as a TV, but they should be able to give us a bit more dynamic range in the image, and it should be able to, to add a little bit more to what you're watching over your normal HD, uh, normal 4K. And projectors have struggled because getting the tone mapping right when you've only got Two, two or three hundred nits to play with in terms of actual brightness, tone mapping becomes very, very difficult. And it's always been, 
Sony have always done it better, basically, than JVC up till now. Even though the 7900, Dex 7900, did get very, very good um, with what it was capable of doing. And again, let's let's point out here that projectors struggle with HDR. So don't expect HDR images to ever look absolutely perfect on, on a projector. It's never going to happen. There's no standards for projection. Any standards, even HDR10 standards, there's nothing there that really says what, proje- what projection should be, other than commercial projectors. So it, it's one of these things that projector manufacturers have struggled with, um, are going to continue to struggle with, but I think JVC are onto a winner with what they've decided to do there. And that's basically the, look at the metadata and set the projector up for that metadata for that film. Yeah. Um, now, it's not dynamic metadata. No. Let's point that out straight away. It's it's what they call auto-tone mapping. Yeah. Um, this is not the same as dynamic metadata, so do not get confused with that because I've seen some comments on the forums where people have confused the two, and it's easy to make that that, that leap um, because it is quite confusing. What it's doing is it's looking at the maximum brightness and the minimum brightness uh, in the metadata that says how that film was graded, and then JVC are using an algorithm that they built in to do their tone mapping, and it sets the projector up to how JVC think that that metadata should be seen. The clip they used was Blade Runner 2049, and I've got to say, that's the best I've seen it look on any HDR projector. Yeah. And the difference between it on and off was quite staggering, really. Um, And I don't think that it was jury rigged in any way whatsoever, because um, looking at picture tone settings and so on that you get within the menu, the roundabout where I have it set on on mine, on my X7900. So I don't think it was jury rigged in any way. It's just, it was really well thought out technology, and it made it did make a really big difference to the viewing. It did. It did. It made a massive difference. And it's a clever idea. Um, because like you say, Phil, uh, projectors, you know, HDRs isn't, uh, they're not ideal for, for HDR because of the nature of the way projection works. And um, I think their approach of customizing the projector for the metadata for each film individually makes perfect sense. Uh, and it will hopefully avoid situations like something like Arrival, which I found unwatchable uh, on a projector in HDR yep. because it was just too dark. Now, I know people say, oh, well, you can get custom curves and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but no one's going to do that. Right? We need something that works out of the box for your average punter. <laughs> no one's going to start you know, filling around and downloading stuff off online, this kind of stuff to, to improve the HDR performance. A projector should be able to do it out of the box. And if it can't, then it can't. But don't say it can if it can't. So this, this for me looked like a great idea. Um, and I, I've personally think that the demo they showed us the two they showed us um 20, Blade Runner 2049 and then a sequence um, um um from the greatest showman and i think they were the two of the best hdr project uh, yeah. projected demos i've ever seen simple as that uh, i was gobsmacked yeah so, yeah top marks to james well done yeah I, and, I, I, and i was coming directly from a demo of the 870 uh which is 25 grand so when you say the nx9 the nine nine nx9 is expensive at 18 and a half grand it ain't compared to 25 grand and in my opinion (laughs) it was better yeah yeah yes Uh, it's not laser i appreciate that but you know it seems to be a you know you can always replace the bulb (laughs) and the bulb ain't going to cost another seven grand is it so and and uh, when you think of the actual use case of a projector i mean like i say i've got a cinema room i'm very very lucky to have a dedicated room as are you steve but the actual hours of use that that room gets on a weekly and a yearly basis, the bulb in that projector is going to last the life of the projector. Yeah. Um, I don't watch. I don't leave it running. I, it, you know, it gets a war- half an hour warm up. I watch a two hour, two and a half hour film, and it gets shut down again. Um, so when 
when you're thinking about it from that point of view, the bulb is going to last the, the the lifetime, the probable lifetime of the projector. And if you're like me and Steve, you're going to change your projectors every three or four Before years. Before you change the bulbs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yes, laser has its advantages, especially when it comes to color purity, especially when it comes to doing very clever things that the 870 does do, which is with the uh, with the iris control that it has and the laser control. Um, that it has where it's it, it's almost doing a local dimming type thing. It's 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 really quite impressive when it does that. Um, so it does have its advantages. But yeah, when you're talking about well, that, well, what you're talking about there, seven grand difference, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd I'd have the JVC. I'd be with you, Steve. I'd have the JVC. Just you know, if I had eighteen and a half, if I had eighteen and a half grand, and sadly I don't. Um, yeah. Yes, that would be it. But like I say, for everything I need from a projector, it looks as though. Yeah. Um, the N7 is going to is going to hit the target nicely in terms of overall performance, everything that you could possibly want. So, yeah, um, yeah you have the option. You can go for the 570 if you uh, the Sony if you prefer. But um, from my perspective, um, the N7 ticks as every box. Yeah, I've, I've currently yep. got. <laughs> and and don't panic. The uh, the X7900 is still around. Um, yeah, and it's and a fantastic projector. It is. It's brilliant. I love mine. I absolutely love it. To bits. It's it's it's. Whatever the secret sauce is that JVC uses, mm-hmm. it's it's still the most cinematic image yeah, uh, out, out there by far, absolutely. And I'm really dead keen. I know the N7 is going to be the sweet spot. It's going to be the one that that most people migrate to or certainly drawn to. Uh, but I'm really interested in seeing the N5 um, mm. and what you actually get for your money there, and and how it stacks up with projectors round about that price point as well because it's directly up against the 270 from Sony so it'd be interesting to see and it those. is a bit more expensive but it has things like lens memory which the 270 doesn't have yeah, glass lens so, uh, which, all glass lens yeah so yeah. there's a lot of extra features on the N7 so that thousand quid difference in price um, yeah. you can easily justify yeah I think so right so that's projectors covered I think we've almost covered everything yeah, that, that, that was the majority of what we've seen now let's go to the, the I don't want to be disrespectful and call them the fringe companies, but the up-and-coming companies when it comes to TV. And we're basically talking about Chinese manufacturers here. Uh, so TCL are finally coming to the UK. They are finally launching three models online to start with. Um, they will be in the shops. Hopefully by the end of the year, they are still in negotiation with retailers to, to and buyers to get them in into the stores. But they're, they, they realise they have to come to the UK. The UK is the second biggest TV market in Europe. So... What were they like? They were good for the price point, is is what I'll say in terms of what I've seen. Uh, in terms of build quality, I thought it was very much like Hisense. And I think Hisense do, a, 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 for the money, they do a fantastic TV in terms of not just uh, very good image quality, but also build quality. Especially when you're looking at, at other manufacturers in the market where you're getting plastic chassis and plastic surrounds uh, and lots of plastics being used. Um, there's there's actually aluminium being used here. Uh, you know they've taken some time. They've taken some time with the design. Uh, Harman are providing the audio, so um, I believe it's it's going to be sold under the JBL banner in the UK for the soundbar, which is built into their uh, higher end model. So they've got three models coming in. Um, P628, 55, 50, 49 and 43. Um, so it's it's the entry level TV under 500 pounds. Uh, the P648, which is uh, a little bit more expensive, 65, 55, 50 and 43. And then their main TV for the year is the C748 or the C7 series, uh, which is coming to the UK with the soundbar underneath the TV. There is another C7, uh, which is for Europe, which has the soundbar as part of the stand. So along the, uh, so along the uh, mountain surface, you'd have the soundbar. 
So, but this is a sound brand screen. Like I say, it's a Harman uh, Kardon or JBL branded. Um, so, in terms of design and that kind of thing, it looks the part basically at that price point that they're coming in at. It looks like they'll compete with Hisense. Um, and basically, what they want to do is they they want to offer something uh, that's that's high quality but low cost, and which which is what we expect from a Chinese brand coming into a, a new market. But the interesting thing for me was uh, speaking to Marek, um, I didn't get an opportunity to put the whole interview into the video because, you know, the video would have been an hour long and uh, I, I just wanted to get the, the, the highlights in there. But he did mention that, that their P-series in the States and the R-series in the States, which are more enthusiast-based, they're going to bring them in next year into the UK. So we'll finally get the same uh, TVs that, that the US sites are all reviewing at the minute and people are talking about uh, that we don't get so that looks promising and it looks looks good to that they're thinking about the uk in that way as well they're not subjecting us to android either <laughs> they said that the, the european tvs do android but we're not giving it to the uk the uk gets free view uh, play so there's no android on there um yeah, it looks like they're, they're testing the market at the minute, they're seeing what the response is, um, and then they'll, they'll look over the next three years to bring in the, the big products. And they had an 8K panel on uh, on their stand. What surprised me is that they're number three in the world, which I was staggered at. I didn't which realize. Which has the sales. In, in terms of the, they are the third biggest TV company in the world. So is which it? I just, Samsung, Hisense them, is I, it? Or Hisense LG them? I... Uh, I, I forgot to ask you number one and number two. Was. I just assumed <laughs> that number one would be Samsung. But the yeah. thing is that, that everything is their own. So they don't buy panels in or they manufacture everything. They're one of the major companies behind uh, QLED, behind Quantum Dot Technology. Um, they, so they're, they, they are very much uh, working the same way as Samsung and Hisense in that regard with, with QLED stuff. Um, they have no interest in OLED. Uh, they, they certainly for the European market anyway. It's not something that, that they're manufacturing. So, uh, so from them, yeah, definitely QLED. And they were talking about self-emissive pixels level QLED within three to five years. So micro LED. So basically micro LED. Yeah, that's what you're talking about. Um, and, and they're huge. They're a massive company. Um, whether we've heard of them or not in the UK, they are. A, 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 they're going to be a, the next big Samsung-type global company. Uh, that's the way you see them, see them go. And the same ambitions that Hisense obviously have as well. Unfortunately, I didn't get across the Hisense, but you did. So I any did, new yes. Yes. Um, to be honest, there was nothing massively new on the sh on the actual floor. They had a couple of models that are coming later in the year. Um, they had their existing lineup, which is already out. Um, they didn't have. You remember at CES they were dropping some heavy, heavy hints they were going to have an OLED. Yeah. Um, they had the OLED behind the scenes, but didn't actually have it on the stand. But they said that um, the reason they weren't showing it on the stand because they weren't entirely happy with it yet. But um, but they uh, still look like they were planning to get it out before the end of this year. So that'll be interesting to see where they price their OLED compared to say uh, Toshiba and Philips, who have also got OLEDs. And you know, obviously Toshiba's already got OLED. Um, Philips have already got OLEDs out. Toshiba have got some coming. So they're going to see where they price theirs. But um, that looked interesting. Um, they've got uh, a lower price point model just coming out, or just come out, called the A6200, and they're planning a version of that for um, for Black for Black Friday. It's going to be crazy cheap, and if it's as good as the A6200 I've seen, um, that could be an absolutely staggering deal. But they say they'll make a set number, and then once they've sold them, that'll be it. So it's just going to literally be for that 
weekend, you know, over over Black Friday and into the following week. And then once they sold them all, that's it. But that's what they've got planned up. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they, again, they're they're a company that's absolutely enormous, and um, and they've they've been really. I think really delivering quality products in terms of you say solid build quality, um, good good out of the box performance, and um, and really attractive pricing. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot more out of Hisense over the next couple of years. I'm I'm broken, <laughs> I, physically uh, and mentally. Uh, I am so tired. It it takes a hell of a lot out of you uh, doing these shows. I, I've got to say it's. Uh, it's enjoyable though. <laughs> That's the weird thing. It's like you put yourself through this and you're like, never again, never again. Um, but it's it's one of them shows that that you know, even though there's nothing major ever gets announced because it's always CES. CES is the main main thing for everybody for their roadmaps and so on. It's still an interesting show. And the thing is that flights over to Berlin are pretty cheap. So if you fancy it and you want to go across, I would recommend. Uh, yeah. if, if you are a Navy fan, if you're an enthusiast. It's your only opportunity, really, to get to see these products that, yes, we get to see them at CES at the beginning of the year, but this is now your opportunity to get out there and, and see the products, unless they disappear off the stands like the inch uh, <laughs> But um, it's your opportunity. And, and like you say, there's, there's cheap flights in there. It runs for five days. It used to be two weeks. It used to run for two weeks. God. <laughs> uh, but yes, it, it, it runs for five days these days, and uh, it's well worth a trip. So if you fancy it, get a couple of years together off the forums and go across, have a look at it. Um, it's well worth doing. Uh, yeah. just, just be prepared to do 20,000 steps a day, uh, especially if, you, if you're like me and you don't think about planning your interviews and you're at one end for one time and then you've got to walk all the way to the next end of the messy and then walk all the way back to where you've been <laughs> yep. an hour earlier. Um, yeah. It's 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 a big show. It's a big show. But unlike CES, you can go if you're a, a member of the public and not in the trade. So, like I say, cheap flights. Get yourself over there. Have a look. And it's always well attended. It's always busy. Uh, public days are a nightmare if you're trying to film. But I think it's been an enjoyable show, Steve. It has been. And also, it's almost entirely in English, despite being in Berlin. <laughs> so don't worry about the language factor. Everyone speaks English. The demonstrations are done in English. It's all it's all in English. Um, yeah, it's it's a great show. I mean, and as you say, Phil, for AV fans, it's pretty much the only opportunity you're going to get to see this stuff being demonstrated for you, um, because things like the Bristol show is mostly hi-fi. Munich's just hi-fi. So, really, for, for an AV fan who's not in the business, this is your best bit bet. Um, so, check it out. And also, Berlin's a fantastic city as well. So, you can have a nice weekend in Berlin and see some AV kit at the same time. Yeah. I'd, I'd strongly recommend it. It was Absolutely. a good show. I, it was a fun show, actually. There was some interesting stuff. I mean, as a projector fan, it was a good show for that. Um, but there was some interesting stuff on the TV side, too. And, uh, yeah, it was a good chance to catch up with everybody. Yeah, it's, it, it. like you say with the projectors, it's nice to see them ahead of Cedia. Because normally yeah. it's the Cedia yeah. show, and then we don't get to see them till CES. And by that, that point, it's been a few months and so on. So, uh, so yeah, it's been good this time around to get that. So that's it for the show. That's it for the podcast. Uh, no movie stuff this week. We just wanted to cover IFA, get out of the way and uh, tell you everything that we've seen and our impressions and our thoughts. Uh, if you've got any questions, put them in the uh, thread underneath this podcast on the forums or stick a comment on the YouTube video on YouTube as well. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the bell for the notifications as well for when the next podcast 
yeah, is launched and uh, and published. And you can do the same as well with iTunes and so on. Make sure your subscriptions are up to date and uh, they should auto-publish. And apologies that we're a little bit late this Monday uh, coming to you, but we wanted to get it well. But it's still fresh in the mind. And uh, don't forget, we're back again next week with the regular crew. We'll be doing our updates for the last month as well, our favourites, uh, TV shows and movies and all that kind of thing. So we'll be back to normal next week. But thanks for listening. My thanks to Steve Withers. Thank you very much. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and videos. And of course, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. You know you want to, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Bye.